0: At AGI, we take grain bin safety seriously. With Bin Manager, from the convenience of your smartphone, you can know the condition of stored grain without having to climb a ladder or stairs to monitor temperature and moisture. AGI Bin Manager is fully automated, meaning you can trust that grain is safe and in condition without returning to the bin to turn on or off fans and heaters. With advanced algorithms to optimize fan and heater controls, you can be confident that your hard-earned harvest will be in condition when it is time to sell. Find AGI Bin Manager at aggrowth.com digital.
1: Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today you'll meet Christina Fordyce. Christina grew up in the Willamette Valley as a homeschooler who one day aspired to grow her own garden. After graduating college in the Midwest, she returned to her hometown to marry her childhood crush, Graham, a farmer. She now co owns Fordyce Farms, Incorporated with her husband and father in law. The family farm has grown by leaps and bounds, now seeing the fourth generation of Fordyces running around in the strawberry fields. Christina and Graham have two toddler sons they are raising while running the family business. Fordyce Farms has been in operation since 1959 and incorporated the business in 2021. The Fordyce family stays very busy all year long with a very diversified operation. They offer you-pick and we-pick berries, a farm stand with local gifts and other produce, vegetable starts and nursery stock, baked goods with seasonal fruit, homemade ice cream and milkshakes, a pumpkin patch and corn maze in the fall, and And now also Christmas trees. To say that Fordyce Farms is diversified would be maybe the understatement of the day. Christina shares all of this with us today, and we actually recorded an extended episode as well, uh, where we dive into more of the transition planning and transition execution of Fordyce Farms from their generation to generation. So if you are a patron of the Rural Woman podcast over on Patreon at tier 10 or higher, you will have that extended episode on your playlist today as well. Speaking of Patreon, I would like to welcome our newest member of the patron community, Enid G. Thank you so much for joining us over on Patreon. You have joined at Tier 10, so you will get the extended episode with Christina through your earbuds today too. Now, throughout our interview, Christina spoke of a very special woman at Fordyce Farm And I'm not going to give anything away to you. You're going to want to make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so that next week's episode automatically gets downloaded to your phone. But I'm not going to give anything away of who is on the Rural Woman podcast next week. But you're not going to want to miss it. So depending on what time of year you're listening to this in, you may be smack dab in the middle of field meal season, just like I am. Well, I shouldn't say smack dab in the middle. I feel like I've been going through field meal season since March. Ours seems to be always extended, but I have been sharing with you some of my greatest tips and tricks when it comes to field meals, but now I want to take it even a step further. So I have released the ultimate field meal guide, which includes over 40 recipes that are perfect for the field, as well as some extra bonus printable meal planners, grocery lists, and a freezer inventory list, which let me tell you that freezer inventory list is a godsend when it comes to what I have living at the bottom of my deep freeze. Because if you're anything like me, it's a mystery down there. (laughs) But the ultimate field meal guide is now available for you. There is a link in today's show notes. So if you scroll down on your podcast player of choice, you can grab yours there or head over to wildrosefarmer.com and head to the shop. It is at the very top of the list there. So you can grab your copy and get a refresh on your field meals. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Christina. Hello, Christina. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today.
2: Hi, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited too.
1: I am looking forward to learning more about your farm because like we spoke about before we hit record... Your main crop is something that I haven't done an episode on with anyone who also has that main crop. So I feel like this is a first. So, congratulations on being the first on the show (laughs) to talk
0: about your crop.
1: (laughs) So, before we dive into that, tell us more about yourself and how you got your start in agriculture.
0: So,
2: I grew up in Salem, Oregon. My mom homeschooled me and my two brothers. So, getting outdoors and doing a little bit of gardening was definitely part of growing up because you do kind of everything when you homeschool (laughs) and everything counts as school. But we had a number of friends that owned a little bit of land, including the Fordyce family, who we met through one of our homeschooling groups. And it turns out I actually had a crush on the oldest boy, Graham, when I was a kid. More on that later. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but other than just knowing a few families in the area that were agricultural families, I didn't really have as much of a a history in agriculture growing up. I did a little bit of 4-H, but I was just always interested in gardening, did some with my grandma. That was really important to my relationship with her, but I didn't get into farming as a career until after college. I actually reconnected with the Fordices after college and Graham and I started talking some more and one thing kind of led to another and there's a whole huge long backstory on that but we ended up getting married in 2018 and I knew that farming definitely came with that (laughs) because he grew up on his family farm so that was how I married into farming basically and then Ever since 2018, I've been learning more and more about how the family farm is run until the present, where I have actually a a pretty big role administratively and in many other uh, areas on our farm.
1: That is so great. And I love that little love story in there. It's always good. (laughs) A lot of fun. (laughs) I'm a sucker for a good farm romance. (laughs) So tell us more about the history of the Fordyce farm. You said it was multi-generational. So share with us what you know.
2: Yeah. So my husband, Graham, it was his grandfather, Bob, who started the farm. He started selling strawberries in 1959. So that's when we kind of say that the farm business began, but he didn't purchase the property, I think until the 60s. And at that point, he also put in a blueberry field a little bit after that, so he started branching out a little bit more, which was exciting. Ever since then, like the farm has just expanded and diversified even more. Bob passed away in the 90s, and his son Raymond took over the operation. Bob's wife, Norma, Grandma Norma, is still very involved in the whole family business and beloved by us all, but her son Ray owned and operated it for a very long time still does but then Graham my husband he grew up doing the work alongside his father and after doing some of his own personal discernment sort of figuring out what he wanted to do for his own career he actually decided that going on and continuing the farm work is also what he wanted to do and last year in 2015 21, we made the big step of actually incorporating the business so that Ray and Graham and I are all co-owners of Fordyce Farm Incorporated now, which is exciting.
1: That is so great and such a long lineage of mm-hmm. that farm in your area. And I love that Grandma Norma is still part of the farm. Can you tell us maybe one of your favorite stories about Grandma Norma?
2: She is one of the most vigorous women that I know, honestly. She is still doing all kinds of things around the farm. One of my favorite things is seeing her ride her bicycle down our quarter mile long driveway out there. And so that she'll like go get the mail or she'll come down to the farm store which is by the road during operating hours and check in with everyone and take a little produce from the store and head back up to the farmhouse and she also has two Jerusalem donkeys on the property named Betty and Harvey and they make an appearance during pumpkin patch season and she takes wonderful care of them she's always had either like a donkey or a horse or a pony at any given point in her life so she's just she's just wonderful she's always involved in some way and is an amazing example of working hard
1: and finding joy in every single day. I am fangirling over Grandma Norma right now. And I think after this, uh, we're done here. I think I need her phone number and she needs to come on the podcast next because I think
2: she, absolutely,
1: she sounds amazing. She is. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about how... The farm has kind of diversified through the generation. So tell us what you are growing. I don't think we fully said exactly what it is that your crop is specifically yet. So tell us what you're growing on the farm and all of the different entities that you have going on there.
2: When my husband does this whole litany, it's a lot faster and kind of overwhelming. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) But we started with strawberries. That was the very first thing in the 50s. And then blueberries were next, Order of what we added next. But So now we still do strawberries and blueberries. We also do raspberries, blackberries, currants, gooseberries, several varieties of apples, Asian pears, a few varieties of plums. And then we also do a pumpkin patch in the fall along with a corn maze. And then we have been doing veggie starts ever since last year people got really into gardening in the last couple of years, so we decided that would be a really great way to serve our community by planting seeds and doing things like tomato plants, cucumber plants, pepper plants. I think we had some lettuce starts last year, and this year I'm also going to try my hand at doing some annuals and herbs as well, just to try and branch out a little bit more in that area. I must be missing something though, like we do all kinds of things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do a lot of things. When I was reading down the list, I was like, wow, that is a lot of variety. And in the climate that you're in, it's perfect for that, which I'm rather jealous of. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Willamette Valley is really a wonderful area for farming. It's extremely lush. The soil is amazing quality here. So, we are definitely blessed to have very mild weather
1: and optimal growing conditions for a lot of these things. So, this might be a silly question, but these are things that I struggle with here in my tiny strawberry patch that doesn't do very well, ever. Mm -hmm. But... How do you keep predators away from all of your berries? And when I say predators, I mean like birds and like bunny rabbits and things like that. How do you keep those uh, away from your crops?
2: Sure. Well, as far as the birds go, we use a variety of bird scares on the property. Like in the blueberry field, we have an overhead sprinkler system and we put like shiny tassels on those that blow in the wind. And then we've got some of those big yellow Balls that you blow up that's like a bird scare. It's supposed to remind them of like predator's eye. And then we also have (laughs) this is really funny, actually. We have recordings of predator birds chasing little birds, and it's the little birds basically making their fearful sounds. And this is funny because we get customers that come into the store going, Wow, like so many lovely bird sounds while we're picking. What are those birds? I've never heard sounds like that before. And we're like, actually, that's the sounds of little birds being hunted and killed, but
1: <laughs> but it protects your blueberries that you just it does. Picked.
2: So we we have we connect this speaker to a car battery and we have several of these just placed around the farm and they go basically on full loop all day long throughout berry season. And you just sort of get used to it and forget about it. And when the customers mention it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. We have that. But it's really loud. If you get right next to one of the speakers, it's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> so that's one of the the main things we do to
1: keep the birds away. That's amazing. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> so with your operation being so diverse, can you just tell us some of the benefits that you and your family saw with this diversification of adding all of these different crops throughout the years? Sure,
2: absolutely. So especially with things like strawberries and blueberries, berries in general can be highly affected by fluctuations in weather or all kinds of things. And so there isn't really any way of knowing exactly how the crop is going to be until That same year. And diversifying is really a way for us to make sure that we have other ways to generate income, especially if we have a bad crop for any of our main sources of revenue, like the blueberries or the strawberries. So, adding other things in there helps with that, but it also brings in more traffic because it makes us a more interesting place for people to come. We do a lot of you pick with the berries. And so, customers spend a lot of time on the property because they're coming out with their baskets and their buckets and filling them up. And then by the time they're done, they might be hungry. They want like ice cream or a milkshake or something or baked good to munch on. So we've been adding all kinds of things over the decades. The bakery went in in 2008. So that was a a fun addition
1: as well. No doubt. I'm hungry just sitting here thinking about this <laughs> and also looking outside to a, a snowy oasis out there. So <laughs> I'm dreaming of this in my head. So you kind of mentioned this for my follow up question. What are the challenges of the diversity? So obviously, the challenges being that if one prop doesn't work out, then you're kind of hooped for a lot of things. But that being a benefit of adding all of these other things, but workload wise, what are some of the challenges that you see with all of these different crops?
2: I think a lot of family farmers find themselves in this situation where they might feel spread a little bit too thin. And diversifying definitely will give that spreading thin kind of feeling. But We hire a bunch of clerks to come in during our open season for the farm store. And so knowing that the store itself and the customer relations are being handled, that takes a load off our minds and allows us to focus our energies on the actual farming part. And we have a couple of employees as well that have worked for us for a couple decades now and are just wonderful guys that we wouldn't be able to do this without them. Having that relationship over so many years has been awesome as well. So between them and my husband, Graham, and his father, Ray, we really just kind of spread the workload as much as we can. The other siblings, Graham's siblings, help out as well quite a lot during the off season and then work in the store during the on season. So having a large family definitely helps in that area as well.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and like you said, we've often find ourselves spread pretty thin. And when you're diversifying and when you're growing, I feel like those are the times where I feel like you're spread the thinnest because you're trying to keep up with everything that's already been happening on the farm, plus implementing uh, new crops or new events or infrastructure on your farm. And it's a lot. Like And it's a lot that you don't really get to take a reprieve from because you live and you work in the same place and it's really hard to run away sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah, it definitely can feel that way. We take most of our vacations during the winter. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, for sure. We We definitely do the same thing when we can, so... Can you walk us through what a typical year would look like for you for your different seasons, for all of the different things that are encompassed on your farm?
2: Sure. Well, I'll look at what this year is going to look like. We've made the decision to open in April this year, just on the weekends, because we'll have more of those plant starts available. And then once strawberry season begins, somewhere near the end of May, maybe early June, then we're open six days a week. And from then until October, it's it's six days a week. So season goes like strawberries, then blueberries, then blackberries. And there's a little bit of overlap on the in-betweens as well. And then in October, once pumpkins begin, we actually open the store seven days a week because families love to come out on the weekends to do their pumpkin patch activities. We've also added in a couple of events through the year. We are going to have some farm meals like a ticketed event where you can come out for breakfast or something and this year will be our third annual artisans festival we've had like some local crafters and artisans come out and just spread their booths around our orchard and we have a grill station set up and it's peak blueberry season so people are out picking and then they can shop around some local crafters as well and that's been a really fun event and then we're also open up until, through November and December, up until Christmas, we're open on the weekends. And last year, for the first time in a while, we wholesaled in some Christmas trees. So we were doing that. So we're going to work on kind of improving that holiday open season this year and see if we can generate a little more traffic there. And then after Christmas, in January, February, February and March, we get a little bit of a break from the store But as you know, that doesn't mean a full break from the farm. There's always something to do. So the season that time of year mostly looks like pruning. And then my husband does a lot of work on our equipment and tractors. But we're able to take it a little bit slower, which is nice.
1: Yeah, that is so great. And I love how this expansion and diversification has really you know, had your farm open to the public for most of the year besides those really cold months or the really rainy months for you, having people be able to look to your farm for an activity or for something to do for most of the year and kind of incorporate that into their family traditions. Like I get a little misty thinking about that and how nice that is for you and how great of a service that you really are providing for your community. So on top of the you pick, you guys actually do some of the picking yourselves. So can you tell me about the harvesting process of your berries when you are harvesting them in a larger quantity?
2: Sure. For retail in our store, the strawberries and the blackberries are picked by hand. The blueberries we pick by hand as well just for the retail and store. Raspberries, those just all go into a big crate. It's got, let me think, 12, yeah, 12 pints. 12 pints to a crate but then later in the blueberry season when we're kind of almost tapering off we start picking the blueberries by machine it's actually the only crop that we pick by machine on our entire farm and that's where we get those blueberries to the cannery so that's the wholesale that we do but it's a really interesting machine I believe it was actually invented by a farmer in the Willamette Valley because there are a lot of blueberries that come out of the Willamette Valley. For lack of a better description, it sort of reminds me of going through a car wash (laughs) where you've got the things on either side of your car kind of battering it. So essentially, it's like this big arch that goes over the row of blueberry bushes. And it's got a lot of kind of tines that stick into the middle and then gently jostle the bush so that the berries that are ripe will just kind of fall down onto this conveyor belt And then they get lifted up towards the top where there's a platform where our workers are standing ready with crates and the berries are kind of all just falling into a crate. And you sort out the bad ones or underripe ones or if there are any leaves and twigs that got in there so that by the time you're done, you have a nice stack of crates. And sometimes we'll have the crates that we just sell straight to the customers or we fill huge plastic tubs to go to the cannery which is actually conveniently just down the road from us so it's not a long drive to deliver there.
1: Can I ask at the cannery is it a commercial cannery or is it used for local?
2: It's commercial I believe yeah Willamette Valley Fruit Company.
1: Mm -hmm. I have seen one of these machines on the internet before and I I always just think that they're so funny when they're shaking and things are coming like, falling through. And it's so interesting to see all of the different equipment and machines that have been developed to harvest all of these different types of crops and specialty crops. And it's I think it's so great that you're able to utilize that machinery when, you know, you pick is over and it's time to clean up everything. Just go shake the crap out of a blueberry bush and they all fall out. So
2: <laughs> It's also just such a testament to farmers in general, I think, because I think the very first one was a little bit jerry-rigged, <laughs> which is... If that's not farm life, I don't know what is. <laughs> Figuring out a way to just make something work to your advantage and it might only have one use, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> you know, I I can think of the many things around here that have only one use and they're big and they sit there and you only get to bring them out once <laughs> a year. But, you know, they're they're good for something. My personal favorite for the one time a year is the grain cart that we use here because that's my harvest job. But that other than that, that big thing, that big bucket thing just sits there and I stare at it all year waiting, (laughs) waiting for the call. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Growers have a lot to consider when it comes to storing grain. Are you getting the most out of your on-farm grain storage? Could an aeration model help to better determine fan, heater, or dryer needs? And what is the ROI if you installed a bin manager system to remote monitor and control in-bin grain conditioning? At AGI, we want you to ask the tough questions about how Bin Manager allows growers like you to know exactly what is happening inside your bins without climbing a ladder or stairs, or how you can benefit from remotely monitoring your grain temperature and moisture from a smartphone, or how fully automated fans and heaters can provide peace of mind all season long. Contact an AGI representative today for a free on-farm smart storage assessment. Find AGI Bin Manager at aggrowth.com slash digital. That's aggrowth.com slash digital.
1: So you came onto the farm in 2018 and... What was that like for you? Take us back to 2018. You had had some experience with Graham and his family on the farm, but you know you were excited to come on to the farm. Were there any nerves? What were those feelings for you to be able to become the farmer that you wanted to be?
2: I had actually worked one summer as a clerk in the farm store before Graham and I were even dating. Um, So I'd had a little bit of experience there, just kind of understanding what the season is like, because our clerks have to be able to answer a lot of questions when customers are like, when are blackberries starting? So I'd had some exposure there. And then other than that, just a little bit of gardening growing up. But my mom likes to frequently remind me that I (laughs) used to have this dream that I would marry a at least if not a farmer, some guy that would be willing to have maybe a couple acres and we could do a little hobby farm or something. But I just said, oh, I don't know if that would ever happen. And apparently she thought, well, Graham Fordyce would be perfect, but she didn't say anything. So she likes to kind of rub that in my face. It's like, see, I was right. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I came into the farm, I was definitely feeling elation for so many reasons i mean i had just married an amazing guy and also was beginning this dream of being able to learn more about the land and how to grow things but it was also definitely a little bit nerve-wracking because it's all it, it's a company that's been around since 1959 and there were a lot of wonderful things that had happened in all of the past decades and so for a little while i kind of struggled with figuring out where I was going to fit in and what my role was supposed to be. So I just slowly started trying to learn things and I'd work alongside my husband. For a while, I was working part-time doing some administrative work for a nonprofit in town. I worked a little bit for our local church. But then once I started to feel a lot more established on the farm and we started growing our family, I quit my other jobs so that I could focus more on family and farm. And in just the last two years, I would say I have started to feel like I really have an important role, one that really needed to be filled too. There were a lot of administrative things that needed to have some more attention. And obviously when you're running a farm, you have to have a crop to sell or whatever it is that you do, whether it's, you know, meat or crops um, or something else. And so you have to produce something. And so Ray and Graham's energy had always really been focused on that production side because you have to keep the farm going in that way. But some of the administrative things sort of headed to the back burner. But that was an area where I felt really competent because I'd had a lot of administrative experience. So I started to work my way in more with starting social media. We already had some social media, but I kind of enhanced some of that. I started an email newsletter. I had done a little bit of graphic design in some of my past volunteer jobs. So I started doing some more graphic design for the farm to help out with the marketing. And then this past year, especially during the incorporation process, I had to start getting more involved in our expenses and accounting to work with our accountant and get all of that in order. So I have definitely found myself busy enough and I have a very important role to play there now, but Every time I get a little bit too tired of typing, I am able to just take a break and go be outdoors and, and do that as well. So I feel like I have a really good balance in that area.
1: Yeah, that is so great. And, you know, like you said, it's a very important role on a farm to be the person doing the book work and the one on the computer. It might not be the sexiest job on the farm and it might not always be the funnest job, but it definitely needs to be done. And, you know, like you said, there needs to be a crop to sell, but there also needs to be the paperwork that happens behind that crop. And I don't think, you know, folks outside of agriculture really realize how much work that goes into it. But just the same, it's like any other business that would have a storefront or that would have employees and things like that, things that need to get done that, like I said, not the sexiest, but...
2: (laughs) (laughs) and one more reason to fangirl over grandma norma is that she has done the bookkeeping for well ever since the farm started and so she's just like this accounting whiz and she'd be like no i'm not but I- She definitely is. (laughs) Like she knows QuickBooks and she's always done payroll and like, she's just amazing. So I've been learning a lot from her to kind of take a little bit of that off of her plate as well and learn about just the history of all of how to do all of the filing and everything. So she and I have been working together a lot on that now, which I think has been fun for both of us because I get to learn more about the history of our farm. And then I think she is excited to see that there's a future here and that we're going to keep going what she and Bob did together. And then my mother-in-law Annette used to do the scheduling for our clerks and she was able to pass that off to me so that she could focus more on her other part-time job that she has. And so I think it was also a relief to her to kind of take a few things off her plate. So that, that's kind of been like where I stepped in and just ways that like other people were getting the things done that needed to be done. But having one more person in there to be able to count on so that, you know, if somebody's sick or has to take a break for a while. It's a
1: family effort. It's a team effort. It's a team effort. That's exactly it. Family farming is a team sport, basically, and something that you have to work together to get all of the things done, whether you like doing them or not. But when you have people who are skilled and bring those skills from previous experience, I think utilizing those skills from your team, from your family, is so important and it's so smart to do because it really feels like, you know, there's so much work to do, but it can be a lighter load because there are people with different skills. I myself can't take apart an engine, but I certainly can do... (laughs) Not my strong suit either. (laughs) No, but I certainly can do payroll and make spreadsheets and all of these things. And I think, you know, this is an important point to make here. I'm still a farmer and you're still a farmer. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you know how to do absolutely everything on the farm or if you are physically capable of doing those things. It doesn't mean you're less than. And I think you know there's a lot of people who struggle with calling themselves a farmer and really owning that role because they feel like they themselves can't do everything that their partner does or that you know their their boss does or whatever it is but being a farmer as we know is so many more things than driving a tractor
2: absolutely and i mean just knowing that not one person can do the entire job makes it easier to accept that reality. Like we were talking about earlier with the diversifying, if we tried to just have my husband do the entire (laughs) thing and and every single job on the farm, he would get so burnt out and it would be exhausting for him and also impossible. Um, So everybody has to have a role and not every role is going to look the same. And that's good because we all have our strengths and different abilities. And when we all put those things together then it runs as a cohesive
1: operation. Absolutely. So what are the future plans for your farm?
2: Well incorporating last year was a big part of that because we want to make sure that we're able to continue this as a family operation. So Graham and I now being part owners really helps to plan for that future, for continuing things when it's time for Ray to retire, which is still a ways off. But I think it's also comforting for him to know that things are going to continue. And then we have two little boys, James and Damien, and they love spending time on the farm. Obviously, I want them to do whatever they want to do when they grow up, but we want more kids eventually too. And I hope that at least one of our kids would love to continue Their great grandparents started. But then, as far as the short term plans, we're thinking about trying to put in a little bar at the end of our farm store and like bring out a couple like craft brews and see if people are interested, especially during pumpkin patch season, in like grabbing a beer while they're enjoying the pumpkin patch activities. We would love to put in a cider press eventually for our apples and maybe even press some cider for some of the other local orchards in the area. We'd love to put in another new greenhouse this year as we start to expand our plant start offerings and nursery offerings. And we've even thrown around the possibility of starting a food hub, which is kind of a way to give smaller local farmers a place to sell their produce. It's kind of like one local pickup point for multiple farmers. So there are a lot of different ideas that we have in the works. Obviously, we need to grow at a manageable rate. But when you have two type A personalities like me and Graham trying to plan all this stuff, sometimes it's hard to slow down. But I think I think putting in the bar and, and the cider press are the most the things that we're looking forward
1: to in just the, the next couple of years the most. Yeah, that is so great. And I think those are great ideas and I would come buy my pumpkins from you anytime.
2: <laughs> we also do a corn maze, so that's a lot of fun.
1: So, and we
2: fun. haunt the corn maze on the weekends. We let the monsters loose. Oh my god. That's in
1: in October. <laughs> yeah, and it's at night, so that's even scarier. I'm coming during the day on a Tuesday. Like I Exactly. That's the best time to come. <laughs> yes. I- I'm not into the haunting house or corn maze. I'm like, no, it's not for me.
2: <laughs> I love putting it on, but I, I don't go through.
1: I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. Christina, it's been just so great chatting with you today. And I've loved learning more about you and your story. My last question for you is, what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you?
2: Honestly, raising my kids on this farm is probably one of the most rewarding things because they're getting a childhood that, I mean, I had a wonderful childhood. I just wanted to spend more time doing this sort of thing. And I think I'm just so thrilled to see that they're getting to live that way and live this lifestyle and that we can all work together as a family That's that probably even tops that just because we are able to get in our quality time together and work well as a team and get to see the literal fruits of our labor all together as a family. And and that's just extremely rewarding. And also with Graham's extended family, like it's just, it's a wonderful community that we have out there. We all love each other a lot. And I, I think we're really lucky that we all get along so well and that we have really great personalities that all work well together in that business setting but then we can enjoy a family Sunday dinner and then just take a little break from talking about business for a while and enjoy each other as people too.
1: Yeah for sure those are all great things and such a testament to Grandpa Bob and Norma And what a great business that they founded and something that you all have been a part of in continuing. So congratulations. It sounds like a wonderful business and more importantly, a wonderful family and a great addition to your community. So good job in continuing that. Thank you. (laughs) For my listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online?
2: Our website is www.FourDaysFarmInc.com and then we're on Facebook as well as Four Farm Inc. And Instagram is at Four Farm Inc.
1: Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Awesome. Thank you again, Christina, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me. I love sharing my story.
1: Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor, Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim and Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre, and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple podcast or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at the rural woman podcast and with me at wild rose farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.